notes can be sold very quickly in a matter of days. If I were to reach out to my network, send out a couple of emails, make some phone calls, I could quickly sell a note and have that capital uh, in cash within a matter of days. Now, think about if you owned a property, rental property out of your portfolio, you decide you want to sell it. How long would it take you to uh, actually have that transaction closed? Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, or TPOW as we call it. I am your host, Dustin Service. I've been in the business for over 17 years, and I think I've known almost every type of investing, but I've never heard of this type of investing put this way. Again, in Canada, we call them bonds or loans. In the States, they call them notes. And what that means is you are the owner of basically lending someone money. So if you are the person that lends someone money and they go buy a property, you are the owner of a note or the owner of a loan. This interview with Fred Moskowitz was great. We We drove deep. He talked about stories. He talked about successful stories about something uh, the Beatles had uh, for sale and someone bought and made money on. And again, it was a mind expander podcast where, you know, you might not do the exact strategy that's laid out in this podcast, but it definitely will get your creative juices going on what is possible for investing and what might be a very simple idea. And you could utilize your wealth edge and make a difference in your wealth picture. So without further ado, Fred Moskowitz. I'm excited for this podcast. And uh, today we're sitting down with Fred Moskowitz, a experienced speaker, author, educator, and talking everything assets, investing in mortgage notes. Uh, you know, this is something that in Canada, very unheard of and kind of secret. So I'm excited to kind of uncover what might be available to investors that they don't know about and unconventional investing strategies, alternative asset investing, real estate, cash flow. I'm personally excited uh, to learn something. And Fred, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Dustin. It's great to be here. We are, uh, so we are minus uh, 28 or about zero uh, US Fahrenheit. And uh, you're coming to me from Philadelphia. So we got contrasting kind of weather, but uh, similar interests in wealth. So give us a, warm us up with, you know, you wrote a book called The Little Green Book of Note Investing. And I've heard of this, I've got clients that, you know, the retired old accountant that's got $3 million in mortgages or notes, as you guys call them, but, you know, no one really knows how he he got those. And so I know that you're an expert in this space. So bring us up to speed. What is note investing and how you got there? Yeah, absolutely. Note investing is the idea about investing in debt, investing in the paper, which are the notes and mortgages that are part of real estate transactions. And what I've found is that a lot of people know about investing in real estate, right? Uh, investing in houses, in commercial properties, or vacation rentals, all, all of these different types of real estate. But not a lot of people talk about investing in the paper. This is the finance side, investing in the notes and mortgages, which are associated with most of those properties. And uh, here in the U.S., there is this, this entire secondary market where mortgages and notes are bought and sold every single day. And it's really a very interesting part of the real estate business. 
for some reason, a lot of real estate investors, they don't pay much attention to it. And when they think of a note and a mortgage, they think about being the borrower, but not as being the lender. So with note investing, it allows you to step across the aisle and become the bank to transition from being the one making the monthly payments to being the one receiving those monthly payments. And what this does is it really increases the predictability of your cash flow as an investor. And I can, we can get into a little more detail about this, about, about the secondary market and how that works. But that's a, that's a high level overview of node investing. Uh, I, you had me, uh, in, you got me intrigued. Uh, you know, you kind of, tipped me off with the word secondary market, which maybe that screams risk, but I know you're going to unpack that. And in our yeah. region, you know, where, where I, you know, live in, in the Okanagan Valley there, you know, the town is about 220,000 people, not a big center, but it would call it maybe the California of Canada, where you've got this sort of tourist people buy second homes here. Uh, and real estate has been a major uh, boon for people that has been a major, great investment. Um, and so, you know, when when clients are asking about commercial real estate, rental real estate, they're a lot of friggin' work. And it's they fine are. when the market is going up, but now as we're seeing, you know, we're, you know, data this is December, you know, 2022, we're seeing a transition in the market to a different market. So I'm intrigued, like if I could kind of be part of real estate, but not have to worry about the tenants and the toilets and, and all that stuff, that's appealing to me. It is is that kind of what you're saying of getting on the other side of the fence? Yeah, you are exactly right. You're exactly right, Dustin. And here's why. When, think about this, when you are the owner of a note, you've stepped into the shoes of the bank, you've bought a note, you, you, you have this note. What we, we often do, we place the notes with a licensed loan servicer who handles a lot of the day to day. Uh, work on that note and they, they do the management, the front end management. And so for the lender, your job really is to do perform due diligence to buy notes and then uh, maintain them on an ongoing basis. But with a loan servicer, they do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. And I'd like you to think of a loan servicer as the same way that a property manager manages your rental property, the loan servicer manages the note on behalf of the lender. They collect the payments each month. They keep track of the accounting, the amortization schedule. Uh, they take care of all the tax forms that have to be sent out and all the compliance paperwork that has to be sent out on an ongoing basis. They take phone calls that come in from the borrower uh, they manage uh, the payoff if if a loan is getting refinanced or uh, property being sold. They take care of all of that, and they do it for a very uh, reasonable fee, right? On average, it might cost between fifteen to thirty dollars a month per note. That's what what they charge, and um, they do a really good job at it. So, at as you can imagine, it's very reasonable and realistic for an investor to own many, many notes, hundreds of notes, and then you can scale. And it's very easy because once you have the note and you have it boarded with a loan servicer, there's some mm -hmm. ongoing monitoring to do, but that's really it. And so that can allow 
investors to scale into very large portfolios. And, um, and that's what we all, we often see. Now think about the, the brain damage that, um, and, and I, I've seen this firsthand. I, I know a lot of investors in, in my local market here in Philadelphia. Uh, I own real estate as well. So I know what it's like, right? You, you might be able to go and own five properties, maybe scale that up to 10. But what happens when you take that to 50 or a hundred? Right. What does that look like? What is your personal life? How does that get impacted? It, it gets crazy. And I know investors that have 80, they own 80, 100 houses and it's a lot of work and they do really well. Don't get me wrong. Real estate is an amazing asset class to invest in. And I think everyone should be involved in it in some way. But to manage a large portfolio, it's a lot of work, a lot. Um, and so there, there's that scaling limitation. So for me, I, I love, no, I love node investing. I invest in real estate as well. However, these days I focus more on investing in deals where someone else is operating them. There's a limited partnership for a big commercial property and there's professional management in place and, and all of that. So for me as the investor, uh, it's not a hands-on investment. It's more passive. So uh, back to the original points, the scaling. Yeah, notes, you can make it a fairly passive investment. And if you wanted to take it one step further, you can invest in a note fund, which is a professionally managed uh, type of syndication where the fund managers raise capital from passive investors, and then they go out to the secondary market and buy notes and, and hold them in the portfolio and they take care of all the management. Uh, and also they have the relationships, relationships with the vendors, relationships with the sellers of notes to be able to uh, buy them and acquire them. So it, it's a different strategy and there's no right or wrong answer, Dustin. There's no right or wrong answer. It all depends on what your priorities are for for yourself as an investor and how much time you have to devote to this um to this but i i love it it's a great industry and uh there's a place for for anyone in it to participate yeah no i think it's uh one of the things that that we've uh, utilized in the past and they, in canada it, it's more used in the term of bond but it actually is a loan and you're talking about you know, notes on real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the positions our managers put in was on Air Canada, the, the airline. So in COVID, the airlines, you know, tipped off the, the charts with no bookings and, you know, it was, looked like it was going under and all that kind of stuff because travel was going down. So they were able to negotiate a loan at, I can't remember the exact amount, eight or 9%, but the collateral on it was, at, at certain airports, or airlines pay for gates. So airlines pay for certain gates and airlines pay for certain times that they can come into the airport because the better your times, the more you can charge for flights. And, and it's just a big revolving door that I never actually knew about. So behind the scenes, they lent Air Canada money and the collateral they got was those airport gates mm. and times. And so the thesis the money manager had was that if Air Canada went broke, they would be left with these gates and times as collateral that's, that they believe that some airline would exist in the world. Yeah. 
that would want those things and they might be, you know, maybe taking a 70 or a, a 60%, uh, or getting 30 or 40% off what their original position, but they wouldn't lose all their money because they had that collateral. So again, I'm just trying to get the juices going with the, with the creative lending opportunities there are out there. Um, one That's thing a great said, example. Yeah. So it's, I, I, I'm sure you've got a, a whole bunch of them and I want to get more out of you. <laughs> uh, but on the commercial partnerships, this is something I get, you know, a lot of our clients are business owners, entrepreneurially minded. They maybe don't have enough money or, or think they have enough money or think they have enough creativity or think they have enough of a network to get to these partnerships. But help us understand what, you know, maybe it was a recent one or a recent example that's easy for us to understand. Commercial deal or a, a, a partnership where you bought, you know, something and you went together, how does the, the structure of it look? And maybe this gets some people some ideas that how they could create their own, or if they've yeah. got a great idea, like it always says, if you've got a great idea or a great property that you found, there will always be money around. So help us understand what partnerships actually look like. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great topic. I love that. Um, so let's talk about that in the context of of node investing, there is a strategy called partials. And what a partial is, is where you take a note and you slice off a portion of it and sell it to someone else while still maintaining ownership of the note. And the way that works is let's say that you have a note of with 10 years of payments on it. Well, you can, and you own that. You can sell the whole note to another investor, right? Or let's say uh, you needed to raise some capital, but not the full amount of the note. So you could sell five years worth of payments to another investor and still retain the back end of that note. And so what happens is the the buyer of that partial, they're buying five years of payments and then starting in year six, the servicer will begin, uh, instead of sending the borrower payments to the partial owner, now they're going to start sending them to you that sold that, that partial, and you'll make, collect the, the remaining years of payments on the note. That's called a partial, and that allows you to subdivide uh, an investment in a note in a very seamless and straightforward way where everyone is still protected by the collateral uh, of the property, um, everything is, it's a very standard, uh, and accepted practice in, in our industry. And it's something I've done, uh, many times because uh, oftentimes there might be a big note and you don't have, you don't have all the capital that you need to buy it. So you can, you can instead buy a partial on that. And, uh, it's a great way. Uh, a great way to um, to to have flexibility, and it it is essentially a partnership between the owner of the note and the buyer of the partial. They're working together. There, everyone's interests are aligned because the success of one means the success of the other. So it's really a win win uh, scenario. So, for instance, that uh, example you said about uh, the asset involving 
collateral secured by uh, Air Canada's position, right? If that was something that's generating monthly payments, and I'm sure that was a very large transaction, probably in the millions of dollars, right? Well, that could be sliced up into multiple sections so that multiple parties can come in and participate on that. And the only division is chronological where year one goes to investor A and then year two goes to investor B and then years three through five goes to investor C. So I, I got a couple, I think we should uh, set up uh, a, a basic scenario. So a note, a loan, whatever you want to call it is, let's say mm-hmm. we've got a, a million dollars. So it starts with somebody needing money. So yes. somebody needs money for something. And so, um, or you need to buy a building. So let's, let's use a building because it's, it just kind of gets easier. Big commercial building, whatever you want to envision in your mind. It's a million dollars. And to buy that, you, you need a million. So you're going to go and you're going to get some debt from somebody to buy the building. The building is going to pay you rent. You're going to use some of that rent to pay for the loan. Okay. So that's really simple mechanics. You mentioned secondary market. Who, why would, somebody that's collecting or somebody that is uh, got the debt on that building and collecting interest every month and it's going well, why would they sell that to somebody else? And and who would, why would someone buy that again when the other guy already owns it or, or, or company already owns yeah. it? Yeah. So this is the, the main reason why is the need for capital. So the seller, why, and this is a common question. Why would a seller of a note be selling? Why do they need to sell the note? Because maybe well, the, the guy's not going to pay in the building and they're panicking or that, that's what a buyer it, of the note would probably be thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but there's a lot of other reasons like the seller may need to recapitalize because they're on, have their, they have their eye on another deal they need capital for. Right. So usually it's liquidity and this, this happens at all levels. It doesn't matter whether you're a huge hedge fund on Wall Street or you're an inv- individual investor with a portfolio of five notes. If you need capital, you might be wanting to liquidate some of the notes you have to quickly raise capital. And notes are, are actually very liquid. Um, what I found in, uh, is that notes can be sold very quickly in a matter of days. If I were to reach out to my network, send out a couple of emails, make some phone calls, I could quickly sell a note and have that capital uh, in cash within a matter of days. Now think about if you owned a property, rental property out of your portfolio, you decide you want to sell it. How long would it take you to uh, actually have that transaction closed? Usually, two to three months at best, right? And right. so um, it, it does take a while. So buying and selling a note can happen quickly if if needed. But the real reason that, that this happens is because of liquidity. Now, here in the U.S., something that's very common is that loan originators, the lenders that uh, actually create mortgages, they work on this basis of constantly creating loans, they get them set up, 
they qualify the borrower, they they fund the transaction, get everything in place, but then within one month or three or six months, they will take that loan and go and sell it at a discount. And why do they, why do they do that? And here's why. Because lenders that do originations, their business model is velocity of money and they want to recapitalize so that they can turn around and write a new loan to someone else. And they make their money on the origination fees and, and all of those things. But they work at a very high uh, volume, very high volume and uh, low margin because of that. But that's their business model. And so you have these different different market forces at work at, at all levels. So, so, okay. So let's keep going with that. And, I, and for, you know, listener, uh, just bear with me for a sec. If you got a pen, write it down. If you're driving, I'll just try and do it really high level. Cause I think we need to understand how a note is. And, and let's use a hundred thousand just for easy math. A hundred thousand is the original note. And in that real estate example, we were talking about Fred, you know, you mentioned uh, owner. There's, Owner of the building, who is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the owner of the loan is yes, is who is who's selling the loan. So I just wanted to clarify that. But yes, and that, that can happen. Yeah, that can happen without um without any involvement by the borrower, the owner of the property, the the borrower, the payer on the note. They have no say in the matter whether a loan gets sold or not. Um, oh. Usually, in the loan documents, it will be disclosed that the loan can be sold at any time. And um, and, and there's a process from they the have bank. to disclose and, and notify everyone. But the bottom line is the borrower has no say in the matter, but they are guaranteed that the rate, interest rate in terms of the loan can never be changed by someone that's buying the loan, right? And so that has to always be honored because it's a contract. It's a contract that someone else is stepping in and, and buying that. So I just wanted to highlight that because that's, that's a perfect often setup a common question. For, for where yeah. I'm going. So a hundred thousand uh, and the interest is 5%. So you've got a, the owner of the property needs a loan. So they go get a hundred grand loan from another, from Fred. And so they get the loan from you for a hundred thousand and it's at 5%. So a year you're collecting five grand. Of interest on that loan. Yes. We'll say. Okay. Now, Dustin comes along and he's looking to buy a loan. So I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, Hey, uh, do you have any loans for sale? And you're like, Yeah, I got this big project I want to go to and I need some cash because I need some cash. So I'll sell you my 100 grand loan at 5%. How much do you sell me that loan at 5% for? Well, that, that's a great question. Um, there is so much that goes into how a loan gets priced. Uh, but I will tell you at a general level, the loans are sold at a discount. So if let's say that was a hundred thousand dollar loan, maybe it will get sold at 95,000 or some, okay. there'll be some discount, which now bumps up the yield is now higher than 5% for the holder, the buyer of the note. The borrower's still paying at 5%, but the, the note owner, because they bought at a discount, now they're, they're earning a higher yield. And that's very customary 
Now think about this. Note in the, during that time, after it was sold in the beginning of the amortization schedule, very little of the payments were principal. And so, um, the, the first owner just collected all that interest for the whole, the whole year or whatever that initial time frame was. Let's so um, just, and sorry to interrupt, Fred. If mm-hmm. let's say that you originated that loan and you sold it the next day for 95,000. Yep. So does that kind of mean you took a 5% loss to free up your capital to go somewhere else? Or is it not that bad? Well, it, it could be, but think about this. Money was made on the transaction fees, the origination right. fees, points charged, all, all of that, all of that, which comes into, into play. Um, I don't do loan originations myself at all. Okay. I, I buy loans. We buy loans that were originated by banks and institutions. And so there are several layers, uh, removed. If you think about that, but other factors that influence pricing are things like risk. For instance, how much equity is in the property? Uh, what's the track record of payments on the note? Is, is it a little bit bumpy where now that's going to impact the pricing a little more? Or is it a riskier type of note? Is it a second position or first position loan? There's all of these variables that that come into play and the bottom line is if you're willing to take on more risk you're going to earn a higher rate of return you're going to buy a note at a greater discount uh and then the trade-off is you have to know how to manage that risk manage that that type of asset is there maintenance that's required in these notes like annually or do you just set it and forget it there, there, there is absolutely maintenance and that's handled by the loan servicer. The main things that, that are needed are compliance related. So there's, uh, notices and disclosures that have to be sent to the borrower as well as, uh, generating the tax forms, tax statements that have to be sent by specific deadline. And so the loan, as long as you're using a loan servicer, they take care of all of that for you. Uh, so I'm going to, you've kind of set it up in your last comments, but I'm going to shift gears from just this last sentence. But what I think is important to know in, <clears throat> in Canada, uh, mortgage investment corps or mix are kind of a term that is thrown around. Sometimes, uh, people invest in them. The theory is you have a fund that has, you know, say it's got a hundred million and they've got 250 mortgages on houses. And they say, well, we don't lend more than like a 50% loan to value okay. ratio. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they traditionally, you know, and I'm, I'm using an example from town, but I'm not, I won't mention their name, but it, it sets it up. Okay. So the average loan on the mortgage is about 250,000 on, on houses that are like 600,000 and, and higher. So they show and disclose how much the, the pot of money is loan to value. Might be 48%, might be 52, but they try and keep it around 50. They pay their investors, you know, say 6%, maybe a little juice at the end of the year if there's a bonus. But help me understand the downside risk of this investment. So if this portfolio is a 50% loan to equity, in theory, for me to lose my money, the 
all the people would have to stop making their payments for one. All and all the houses would have to sell for well, basic like zero almost, right? Yeah, exactly. And and that's a highly unlikely scenario. And uh, what happens is that most likely not all of the loans are going to have an issue at the same time. There might be some. <clears throat> and what I found is that usually with enough time, these, these can get resolved. But it's like, think about the way a life insurance or any insurance company works, right? They manage their risk by diversifying across a large pool of insurance, whether it's properties, people, cars, anything. So they'll pay, pay some claims out, but it's not likely that all of the insureds are going to have a claim at the same time. Uh, that, that's, that's not, not a realistic scenario. And so that, that's, uh, that's part of what, what we do with its diversification. I always like to tell people and teach about this that if you're investing, I really like the idea of if you had a hundred thousand dollars to invest in notes, instead of buying one note for that hundred thousand dollars, You'd be better off buying four smaller notes, twenty five thousand each, and now your risk is spread out across four deals, and that that's a much stronger position to be in. Um, and so that that's just just a little bit about managing risks. And let's face it, insurance companies they've been around for hundreds of years; they know how to manage risk. And so we can take a page from their playbook and uh, utilize that strategy as well. Can you give me, uh, I'm going to go to phase two of the same scenario and question. So if, if, uh, this, so I want uh, where I'm going, I'm kind of having trouble articulating, but first and second position. So yes, if I, if I'm part of that fund and I invest in, in my money and so say the house value, the person stops paying, we've got to foreclose or we've got to take over the house, which most of these companies don't want because it's a pain in the ass, but they have to take over the house. And then in my head, I always thought, well, they would take over the house. If the person's going bankrupt, they take over the house and they would sell the house for say 500. And when the loan's only 250, they're actually going to make money, but that's not the case. Cause if they're going bankrupt, some of that money is going to be going to satisfy their other debts. Is that not correct? Okay. Um, I will talk about this from the context of, of in the U.S. because that this is getting into a little bit of, of legal, okay, <clears throat> legal uh, items. But let's level. say, yeah, that's let's say that if that scenario happened here in the U.S., um, the liens that are secured against the property all will get have priority to get paid first, even in the case of a bankruptcy. Uh, by the borrower because the bankruptcy is personal for the, for the borrower themselves. So if that property were to go to sale, go to foreclosure sale, then the first position lender has the right to recuperate everything up to their uh, payoff balance, not everything that, that uh, 
yeah. is yeah. generated by the sale of the property only up to their loan uh, balance, their their payoff amount, and then after that, whatever's left over goes to the second lien holder, the second position. And, and the same thing. Now, let's say there's still money left over after all of that. Well, then now the borrower is entitled to uh, receive that. They can file uh, file documents with the court to receive those proceeds. So they don't on they don't go to the lender. They they go to pay the borrower or any other lien holders that are there. But the, the mortgages are secured lenders, so they're, they're in line first to get paid. Well, that you kind of, I guess, no matter probably, and again, Canada, U.S., a person in their due diligence should be asking what position are we in, first or second? Yeah. Yes. Or third, uh, you know, knowing right. where it, in it, the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, why do you think that this note investing is a little bit less talked about, marketed, why is it kind of like a, I want to say a, a secret, but it's like, it doesn't it's seem a, like it's marketed it's as much as, is it a niche? Is it, but it sounds pretty compelling. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's a niche and a lot of people just don't know, don't know about it or don't understand it. It's a little more complex to understand and learn about. But, um, there, there's, I've definitely seen a growing, a growing interest in it, um, in the past few years. I've been involved in this industry f- since, uh, the past 12 years. So it's been, it's long, long time and I've seen it grow, uh, quite a bit. But, uh, it's, it's work. And, uh, for most people, they know about, buying a house, buying a rental and operating that. And that's great. That's great. But there, there's, there's so many other, uh, so many other strategies, Dustin. And there's other assets as well that can generate, uh, generate cash flow and income, uh, in addition to that. But, uh, let, let's, let's get, just expand a little bit. Notes don't have to be on houses, right? They can be okay. on, they can be on a yacht. There's notes on a yacht. There's notes, uh, aviation notes on airplanes. Um, the example you, you've cited, which is a commercial loan secured by some type of collateral that, uh, is a little more complex to wrap, wrap your arms around and establish a value, but there's a commercial value to it. And so these are all types, different types of debt that are secured by collateral. And the idea is that um, there's some kind of recourse, something backing the investment for the, for the investor, for that lender. Fill us in. Uh, if you got a few minutes extra, we, we've now got our, our base level education. We're all now experts. What are some of the, the notes that you have done? Maybe some of the good, the bad, the ugly, but a couple stories or like actual, you know, even small ones. You got some people on the podcast that do have a million. I got some people on the podcast that might have a thousand dollars. Do can we, can we help help each of those people understand what you've maybe done? Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, stories. Um, I focused exclusively on residential, uh, residential notes 
uh, in the U.S. all across all across the U.S. I bought small notes, large notes. Um, but if we want to talk about stories, here's here's a great story I love that that I'm going to share, and it's actually not a note; it's a different different type of uh, asset. But it's about royalties, right? Royalties are another asset that generate income. There's collateral there backing them. And it's an asset with tangible value, right? And so a lot of people maybe don't know this, but um, back in the 80s, um, the Beatles, right? The Beatles ended up um, having their publishing rights to their entire music catalog went to auction. Okay. And this, this is huge, right? And... There, there's a lot of commercial value to owning those royalties. And so what happened was Michael Jackson, another uh, person in the music industry, he knew that there's a lot of money to be made by owning the royalties and the publishing rights to the music. And you're, you're actually in a lot better position than the original artist was because the original artist can go and go out on tour and earn money that way performing, but the real money to be made is in owning the royalties and the publishing rights. And a lot of times with these record deals, the record label ends up retaining those and it, it's often doesn't end up as a good deal for the artist, uh, unless they, they're more savvy on the business side. But you know, at, a lot of artists, they're good at their craft, but they're not good in business. And maybe they don't, they didn't have good representation, good advisors. But in any event, Michael Jackson, he knew that this is where the money is to be made. So when he heard that the Beatles catalog was going to be going to auction, he sent his attorney out to go out and chase that deal down. And he spent like a year or more negotiating this and, in the end, he bought, he was able to buy the rights to the entire Beatles catalog for somewhere between, let's call it $50 million. I don't remember the exact yeah. amount. And so the Beatles, when they had their, the, the music catalog, they never allowed it, the music to be used commercially. Never. They didn't want it um, to be used that way. But now at this point, they no longer had a say in the matter. Michael Jackson now owned it, and he started to aggressively commercialize, license out the music. It was being used in commercials and advertisements and all of this stuff. And so what did that do? That started to increase the value of the asset because there's all this income and cash flow coming in from all of these different commercial deals. And so 10 years later, he ended up selling a 50% interest in that catalog to Sony Music for $90 million. Yeah. So think about that. He sold half of the catalog for almost twice as much money 10 years later. Yeah, and all of that uh, time, all of that time, cash flow was coming in. Yeah. I love it. So, yeah, yeah. It, this is uh is fascinating and it's I know you asked asked me for a, a smaller deal, but 
here's a larger deal with something that everyone can relate to the music of the Beatles. I mean, very popular, uh, impacted the world. That music impact has impacted the world. Um, there's even theories that the Iron Curtain falling, uh, was partly due to the Beatles influence, uh, in the Soviet Union dur- during that time. I mean, there's just so much, so much impact and, and lives touched through that music, uh, over generations. But that is a story about the power of owning an asset. An asset can be small, it can be large, but no matter what happens, no matter what you're doing, the, you're owning that, you have cash flow coming in. Yes, that's and a that's key. Powerful. I think, well, I think what you've done, I don't know what you listener, uh, but you've stretched my mind. I've just sort of like stretched it a bit. Can you get your head around it? I got a few more questions that, you know, around it, but I think it's now diving deeper into, you know, where are these notes? Maybe it starts with a fund. Um, but is, yeah. is there like for, is there $10,000 loans out there that, you know, I'm thinking yeah. RVs, quads, snowmobiles, that Absolutely. kind of stuff? Absolutely. Think about this. Uh, those types of, those types of loans, RVs, quads, motorcycles, they're all bought with financing a lot of times, right? Think about your local construction contractor that owns paving equipment and a backhoe and a bulldozer. Uh, and construction equipment that is all bought with financing, with equipment leases, all of that. And those can get funded out of someone's retirement account. They can be funded out of someone's life insurance cash value. Uh, all, all of these different strategies. And a lot of those deals happen through a personal relationship between an investor and a business owner that is the local guy in your town. Yeah. Well, that's uh that I think is a great bookend in your book. I want to get you a chance to have we encapsulated in today's conversation, what your book, the little green book on note uh, investing is, 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 is there anything else in the book that, that really helps? Yeah. Helps the listener. Yeah, absolutely. It, it helps in, in this way that the, the book, my book gives a high level overview, an introductory view of the node investing industry and a lot of the things we spoke about today. Why do nodes get bought and sold? It covers how to analyze a note, how to perform due diligence, uh, where to find notes, where to buy them. It talks about if you're looking at investing in a note fund, deciding whether what whether that's right for you and how to perform due diligence on that. We also talk about investing in partials, which is a little bit more of an advanced concept, but I, I break it down into the basics for um, for the reader to really be able to understand and get value of that. And so think about that as an introductory introductory uh, journey into this industry. It's an industry I love. I've seen a lot of people uh, be very successful with it. And um, no matter what kind of investing you're doing, I think that notes plays a part in your portfolio. 
Yeah, well, I, I love it from uh, you can get started sooner than later. It's, uh, you know, a forced savings. You're getting your money working for you, which is, you know, simple money out, money in. So you can analyze different things. And one thing that we talk about in, in our kind of coaching or our sphere is investing in your circle of competence. And that term actually came from a hedge fund manager, Phil Town. I'll give him a tiny plug uh, in the show because I took his course. But that, you know, when you look at investing in something, do you understand it? Are you interested in it? And, you know, that helps you get through the bumpy roads. If you meet your co- you're at a cocktail party and you hear someone say, oh, I, I loved XYZ stock, I'm buying it and it's going to go up. And you go buy it and it goes down the next day because that's usually how it goes. Do you have the wherewithal to stick it out? And if you're not interested in it, and if you don't understand, well, how does this company actually make money? That behavior leads to losses because you might not stick it out or have the interest. If you've got an interest in a company, you say, you know, I drink at that same coffee shop every day. It's lined up. The market's down. Its stock is down. Uh, but I just don't see how they could be down you will be more wherewithal. So with loans and note investing, I love that there's a there's a personal element there that you could find loans that you understand. If you're in yeah. the construction business and you see there's a, a batch of construction loans and you go, I know those projects, I know that builder. Uh, or if you're into you know quads or you know whatever and you say, well that particular model, older guys that you know go hunting and putt around on them drive that model. Well that would be a better model than the really aggressive one the young kids buy. So exactly, or or it could be airplanes or or anything, anything. Um, you're you're absolutely right. And let let's take this a step further. Let's say you're a um, an HVAC contractor, right? Heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and so let's say you want to invest. You know that business. You know that space. There's the equipment manufacturers, the vendors that make the equipment that you're going out and installing. You know who's who's got a good name and reputation and product. And so maybe that gives you an edge because you can go in and buy, maybe you want to buy stock. Well, you can invest in the companies that you know are solid, right? And that that's another another strategy. Like you said, invest in, in what you know. If you work in the technology industry, you have a viewpoint of the companies, the players out there. If you're a physician, a surgeon, you know which medical equipment, uh, medical device manufacturers are, are, are on the forefront. You can, you can invest money in, in the companies you like, right? Whether it's, um, through, through owning stock or, or other means. But I, I love that. Invest in what you know and what you like. That's, that's powerful. Uh, thanks, Fred. And where, where can, uh, listener find you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Best way to reach me is to connect with me on my website, which is fredmoskowitz.com. Or if you prefer an easier spelling, you can tech, uh, you can visit giftfromfred.com and sign up there. And uh, if you prefer to use your mobile device, you can text the, the word money to 215-461-4433 from your mobile device and uh, follow the prompts there that way. 
And uh, my book, The Little Green Book of Node Investing, it's available on Amazon. And uh, for anyone looking to learn more about this industry and this asset class, it's a great place to start. Well, thanks a lot, Fred. I learned a ton today, and I can't wait to maybe have a part two in the future. Uh, maybe we'd I'd love that. We can get a little deeper now that we got this knowledge. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate the show, share with a friend, or use your new knowledge in your next conversation. If during the show something gave you a pang of inspiration, motivation, or sense of uncertainty, act on it now. Get the clarity you're looking for. Find the permission you seek. Go to servicewealth.com to discover how others are learning how to take Fridays off, or buying a recreation property, or spending more money. If you're an organizer of an event where you believe my philosophy on finance and lifestyle design would be applicable, go to servicewealth.com and book me as a speaker at your next event. If you want a copy of our new book coming out soon, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook, and we will be sure to get you a first copy.